Hi, everyone, and welcome to Be True, my podcast about the writing I love and the writing I do. I promise I won't rhyme the whole time. Come on now, that was Peter Lorre, clearly. I'm John Tessitore, and today an excerpt from Chromalodion, a long poem from my chapbook, Parchment, a prayer quintet. You can find it and all my work at johntessitore.com. Parchment is a strange literary concoction, a collection of five longish poems, more like psalms than like typical lyrics or confessional poems. And yet, somehow, Parchment is also among my most personal work. I can't explain that paradox. I wrote three of the pieces after finishing my book about the myths and symbols of American life, All the Lonely American Roads. I guess I had just a little more to say about the state of our nation and our culture and about our spiritual condition. The guiding spirit, the guiding spirit of the poems was the uniquely American junkyard composer Harry Parch, hence the title, Parchment. Get it? Parch was born in 1901 and died the year I was born. He was a musical genius who created his own musical scales, more nuanced than the typical Western scales, and he had to build new instruments to play them often assembled from spare parts and cast-offs from recycled objects and rejects. He gave his instruments great names, like Chromalodion, which is the title of the first poem in my little book. I'm only going to read a section, beginning a few stanzas in. It is unfashionable to prefer the sad eyes of Chaplin to the stone face of Keaton, but I tramp again and want to hug my son before I commit my acts of sabotage. The spirit of my rebellion must be adolescent. Its genius is lust, to regain the wonder, the excitement of lawless chance, to feel the surge, and reject the enormous apparatus of our freedoms, school boards and senates, pundits and police forces, to remember all the ways we trade the simple, for complication. What did Zeekly say before his days on ice? My kingdom, my kingdom, for a slice of bacon. I am barely scraping by now. I refuse to knuckle under. I should have realized sooner that power is, by definition, failure, a fractured equilibrium. Like when I opened to the first page of his scripture, written in living rage, and the crazy old man told me that we were all the same. The way of the rest of America has always been to divide and conquer. The good gray poet gave me something other. I've scribbled pages and pages of my own since then, but who am I to sing them? Like the crazy old man, I am no one. Amen. Amen. And yet, give me two pencils and my notebook. The first thing you may notice about this section and about the book entirely is the grab bag nature of the references, reminiscent of the grab bag nature of Parch's instrumentation. But maybe it's not as random as it appears. The progressive, lefty tradition of the mid-20th century is all over this book. Chaplin's Little Tramp, Woody Guthrie, John Steinbeck, Bob Dylan, Lawrence Ferlinghetti and the Beats, Harry Parch. Hardscrabble idealists all, tough-talking artists, worthy of the slogan scrolled over the body of Guthrie's guitar. 
This machine kills fascists. It's a grand American tradition, and I believe one that desperately needs rehabilitation right now. We've just been through a necessary period of idol smashing, and we should continue to smash idols and pull down statues. Always. But we lose something important when we deny all traditions entirely because they don't fit our needs in every respect. What's that stupid phrase? Throw the baby out with the bathwater? Every tradition has its weaknesses and blind spots, and there are plenty of traditions that need to be abandoned immediately, if not sooner, many of them held in high esteem by the powerful. I'm looking at you, Andrew Jackson. (laughs) But there was hope and optimism in that old lefty tradition of the 20th century, a fighting spirit that at least tried to come down on the side of the powerless. It was a fighter's hope, and perhaps a possible template for us. My own sense is that the people on the better side of history in this particular historical moment, the ones who defend the values that will ultimately last, by which I mean the ones who defend the persecuted and the outcasts and the powerless, especially when it's in conflict with their own self-interest, those people, in our day, have proven to be the least effective fighters. So it's good to remember a time when that wasn't necessarily the case, when the best fighters were the ones who tried to fight inequality, for example. That's part of the spiritual renewal at the center of parchment, and why I chose to read this particular section now, starting with Chaplin. Chaplin's sentimentality goes in and out of fashion, depending on the times, or at least it alternates with Keaton's stoicism, competes for the cool kids the way the Stones tried to compete with the Beatles. But Chaplin's little tramp exposed the hypocrisy of the powerful and did so by introducing love and fun into anarchy, childishness in protest. There is always so much life in a Chaplin film and so much joy. Fight with joy. A great lesson for every radical and provocateur. Back to the poem. After the Chaplin reference... There's a reference to someone called Sikli, which sounds like the name of a European philosopher, but this philosopher is better known by his stage name as comedian Louis C.K., whose reputation has also needed rehabilitation in recent years. I snuck him in here using his real last name at a tough time in his public life. And he, too, represents an important tradition a tradition among certain kinds of comedians who use laughter to expose the hypocrisy of power. George Carlin, Dave Chappelle, you know the ones. In this case, I had in mind my favorite Louis C.K. bit in which he explains the entire climate crisis, distills all of the environmental devastation down to our simple bourgeois desire for the crunch of a strip of bacon. YouTube it. It's brilliant. Here, The bit is blended with Richard III's famous plea for a horse. That's right, Louis C.K. by way of Shakespeare. My kingdom for a slice of bacon. It's absurd, but also kind of true about our priorities. And it's very, very sad. Which then brings us to one of my many apostrophes to Walt Whitman in my work. The good gray poet. I talk to him a lot, it turns out. Whitman was the subject of my academic research many moons ago, and he remains everywhere in my life. He's among America's most distinctive and unique voices, 
and also one of its most original public figures. I can speak about him for hours, days, until I'm dead. I bore everyone I know. If you keep listening to this podcast, to future episodes not even imagined yet, I'm sure I'll bore you too with my admiration for Walt Whitman. He is my most important spiritual and literary father, and here's why. It's in my own line. The way of the rest of America has always been to divide and conquer. The rest. But not Whitman. Not Whitman at his best. He, like all the other white men I've mentioned so far, was imperfect. Blind spots, personal failings, check and check. But he also gave us the broadest, most expansive, and idealistic definition of America. America not as a political entity or as an arbitrary set of borders, but as a spiritual advance in human history, a marker of moral and ethical possibility. Not just a democracy, but a calling. It was a crazy, unruly, all-encompassing vision of a relatively new nation, but I am a connoisseur of crazy visions, like Parch with his new instruments. And Whitman's vision has influenced outcasts and freaks and weirdos all around the world, ever since. And what he honestly thought he was doing, failing and blindnesses aside, was defining a culture big enough for everyone. Do you hear what Chromolodion is about now? Are you starting to pick up its theme and the theme of parchment as a whole, all five poems? It's yearning. Yearning for a society, a culture, a life worthy of the effort, worthy of the affluence and the influence, worthy of the reputation or whatever's left of it. (laughs) It's a poem that creates its own context, its own tradition, containing Whitman and Parch and Louis C.K. A weird group, but fitting somehow. And it's a useful exercise. But does the poem provide any answers? I don't know. I'm a poet when I write poems, nothing more or less. But I keep coming back to these lines. The spirit of my rebellion must be adolescent, Its genius is lust, to regain the wonder, the excitement of lawless chance, to feel the surge. Lust, lawlessness, wonder. We don't value these things enough, not the way we should. To me, they're what make life worth living. Expressions of insuppressible energy, the energy of love, creative energy, sexual energy. And they are what power fears most. They are feared because they are the stuff of yearning of a desire for more, for better, for freer, our joys and our discontent. Lust, rebellion, wonder, they're always a risk, a threat, because they can't be contained, and they shoot off in unpredictable ways, unless, unless, unless they can be used for marketing and profit, as they have been for at least a half century, more, or used to demonize some subset of the outcast for political or religious purposes, as they have been quite successfully for millennia, unless they can be used to reinforce existing power. So is there any hope in Chromolodion? Maybe not in the way there was hope in Whitman's Leaves of Grass, but at the very least, is there any hope in the way there was hope in Chaplin or Parch or Ferlinghetti or Steinbeck? Is there a fighter's hope? I think so. Remember the last line of this passage. Like the crazy old man, I am no one. Amen. 
Amen. And yet, give me two pencils and my notebook. That's my fighter's hope. And so, in the hope that you can find your fighter's hope, because America and the world needs more from all of us. This is John Tessitore concluding another installment of Be True. If you've listened this long, thank you. You can find more about Parchment and all my work at johntessitore.com. But first, go watch Chaplin's City Lights or Modern Times and allow yourself to be inspired by flawed people at least once in a while. There really isn't a choice. There really isn't any other kind. Special thanks to me for today's theme music, which I call E-Chord. Maybe we'll talk again later. And if you enjoyed this little podcast, leave some stars or a review and tell your friends. In the meantime, I gotta feed the dog. All right, Luna, I'm coming.